0: Alright, Luke 16, I'm sorry, Matthew 16, not Luke. I was thinking something out of Luke because we're going to go to Luke. Matthew 16, uh, we got down through really verse 20 and into a little bit in 21, so let's pick up in verse 21 uh, where the Lord says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders, and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day now we saw this verse briefly last time and when he says there from that time forth began Jesus to show Uh, this is a critical point now in Matthew but he Christ begins to tell them about having to go to Jerusalem and having to die and to be raised again so if this is where he began to do that, come over to Luke nine, okay? Then he and he begins to tell them this, and it says he from uh, time forth began. So if he is doing this here, then he did not tell them prior to this in the book of Matthew. What did I tell you? Luke nine, man. All right, I gotta wake up. Luke nine, and he wasn't talking prior to this about his death, his burial, or his resurrection. Rather, and and again, he he's now going to begin to talk to him about it. And in Matthew, this is a very important place, and it's a very important place in his earthly ministry because. He is no longer going to the throne, which is where we've been. He's no longer going for the crown, to be the king. He's no longer going to the kingdom. He's going to, to the cross now. And his rejection has been evidence, and, and, we, and we've seen it. Now he's going to set his face towards Jerusalem. This is Luke 9. Now he says, "I got to go to Jerusalem. I have to. I, there's something that I have to go and do. And there's nothing going to stop him from doing this. That's the point. Okay, Luke nine verse fifty one, Luke nine fifty one, and it came to pass when the time was come that. He should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. Now that's coming out of Isaiah 50, that setting his face. And what he's doing is, is there's no question about this now. He's going to go to Jerusalem. That's the issue. And that's all there was going to be to it. And you can come back to Matthew. Actually, you know, run over to Hebrews nine. And and really what's what's happening here is in Matthew, he just got done saying, I'm going to build my church. Peter, you know, you're in you're the chief apostle i'm building my church we looked at the stuff about the rock and the messianic church and he he was declared by peter to be jesus christ the son of the living god he's messiah okay and he's he's been declared to be the king of israel and but up until this time he's been preaching what the kingdom the kingdom is at hand he's been preaching the gospel of the kingdom He's preaching it. Chapter 4, we saw it. Chapter 9, he's preaching. Chapter 10, he sends his apostles out to preach. And what were they preaching? The gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So at the same time, these guys know nothing about the crucifixion. So don't let anyone tell you they always knew, uh, the, great, the great thing that you hear is that the Old Testament saints were looking forward to the cross. No, they were not. They, didn't, they did not understand anything about the cross. We're going to see that here in just a minute. Rather, what were they looking forward to? The kingdom. That's what they were looking forward to. They weren't looking at or, or wanting or hoping or anything for the kingdom. Uh, come over to Hebrews 9. And, you know, it's an interesting thing when you talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are technically Old Testament ground still, okay? Matthew, Hebrews 9, look at verse 16. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force, after men are dead, otherwise it is no strength at all while the testator lives. So, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when does Jesus die in those books? In the beginning or in the end? In the end. So, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're still in the Old Testament. You're not in the New Testament. Now, I know we, we usually say Matthew to Revelation, New Testament, and that's okay. You don't have to... Don't, you know, don't get all in a bunch and a huff about it, okay? But you're and by the way, you're not violating anything if you say that. Just we need to understand that the Old Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John still on the Old Testament ground. By the way, when did the Old Testament start? When did it really begin? Everybody'll say Genesis 1. It started in Exodus 20. When Moses gets the law, that's the law. When does the New Testament begin? Everybody's going to say Matthew one. Really, it begins in Acts one, when he after he's ascended up, and they move into when. Do, by the way, when do they usually say the body of Christ started? Acts two. When we know better than that, it's with Paul and they're in Acts nine. So it's good to kind of have some of that in order. <laughs> Uh, Come back to Matthew 16. And, And that's the thing. He, up until this point, Matthew 16, 21, he had not said a word about going to Jerusalem and dying. It's all been about establishing the kingdom, getting the little flock called out, getting the 12 apostles established, moving over, teaching them, getting them ready to take over in his absence. So when you get down in this, Matthew 16, 21, from that time forth began Jesus showing to his disciples that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to say, Hey, thanks for dying on the cross for our sins. Hey, Thank God that you're gonna go die for my sins. No, what did he do? He rebuked him, didn't he? Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this is not be unto thee. Folks, Peter didn't know anything about Jesus Christ going to die at Calvary. He didn't have a clue. He so there's no way that Christ was preaching. A blood atonement for the forgiveness of sins. That's what they say. Yet he's been preaching that gospel of the kingdom, and that's the point. He was just, he's just given them the explanation of Christ being the Messiah. And the answer to that is the kingdom of heaven's coming. Here it is. And that's the good news that they were focusing on. And again, now what do we have? He's gonna—he threw him a little curveball here. By the way, what did he, how did he end verse number twenty? Don't go tell anybody that I'm who, the Christ. The Christ. Don't you go. T- and then he begins to talk to him about going to Calvary. Things are—he's withdrawing himself, and that's the issue. Come over to back to Luke, Luke twenty-four. Come back to Luke, twenty-four. Luke 24. Again, there's things that are going on in Matthew 16, and we're going to see them in 17, where spiritually Israel is in darkness, and now judgment is going to come on them and so forth, and it has to do with this issue about him moving away from them And now we're going to go, he's got to go do something. Setting his face towards Jerusalem. Luke 24, notice if you will, verse 44. Luke 24, 44. Now, by the way, if you run back up to verse 1. Now upon this day, upon the first day of the week. So we're on Sunday here, right? They go to the tomb. He's gone. Verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day. So on the same day, there was some activity. And he goes down and so forth. And their eyes are open. Verse 32, 31 there. Their eyes were open. And then they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. Okay. Then he goes over verse number 33 and they rose up the same hour so we're all still on the same day here see that and returned to jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying the lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to simon and they to- and they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them and breaking of bread and as they spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto thee, unto you. So this is all on the, Sabbath, on the on Sunday, the first day of the week. Verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So one... He sets the canon of the Old Testament Scripture there. So the canon of the Old Testament is already set in the time of the Lord. It's been set for quite a while. But then he did what? He fulfilled all the prophecies about the Messiah coming, being born of, the, and so forth. Verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Now what do they have? Now they have understanding. So come over to Acts 2. Acts 1. Acts 1 verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days. So he's going to have a 40 day conference with them. He's meeting with them now. But notice what he's meeting with them about. It is not what Calvary meant. See that? And speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You see, he's not over there saying, okay, this is what the Calvary means. This is going to be to everybody now. It's all men and all this. He, he's, you know, he's talking to them about the, the what? The kingdom, the stuff in Matthew 16. He's been teaching them about training, getting them ready. The whole of John we went through what, five, six chapters of the upper room where he's just going through this stuff with them about the kingdom and the new covenant. Verse, by the way, verse 6, Acts 1, 6, and when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Notice they don't ask him, what did Calvary mean? They ask about the kingdom. That's what they're concerned with. Chapter 2 of Acts. Two twenty-two. It's like, sounds like uh, Peyton Manning on Omaha, Omaha. Two twenty-two. Red blooded two. You know, I don't miss football at all. Can you tell? Okay. Ye men, <laughs> ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst. <clears throat> excuse me. In the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be. Do you, th- you see, Peter's not talking about Calvary in a very good light, is he? He's like, you guys, cru- with wicked hands, you crucified him. He doesn't point to it and say, there's the answer for our sin problem. See? He says, you guys messed up. You took the Messiah and you killed him. You nailed him to the cross. And literally what Peter's doing is he is blaming the nation. And by the way, he does it in chapter 3, again in 4, over and over again. You did this. The nation did this. That's why in, thir- in verse 38, the, the great verse that goes to church every Sunday, he says, "Then Peter said unto them, "Repent. Why would he say to repent? Because they needed to change their mind, change their thinking about who they just killed. That's why he's in down in 40. Oh let's see. 40 there at the end. Of, he goes, hey, save yourselves from this untoward generation. What are these guys doing? Go back to Matthew 16. So when he starts here and he says, hey, he began to talk about going to Calvary and then Peter rebukes him. He hasn't. Peter's going to eventually in a little bit here get down there and start blaming Israel for the cross. Nothing about it's solving our sin problem. So we don't get that until we come to the Apostle Paul. So when you hear people say, oh, the church started in Matthew 16, no, it didn't. By the way, that's where the old timers say it started was back there in Matthew. We've talked a little bit about that, where, where the Lord begins to withdraw himself, Matthew 12, Matthew 13. He didn't start it back there. Well, it started in Acts 2. No, by the way, Galatians 6, Paul says, I glory in the cross. I preach Christ crucified. Now it's a good thing. Why? Because we understand it is the the answer, the the remedy to our sin problem. So back to Matthew 16 here, verse 23. But he, and that's going to be Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an, an offense unto me for... Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You know what Peter was? He had become become a stumbling block. He was a rock back up in verse 18. He's the guy. Now he's a stumbling block. He's the wrong kind of rock, (laughs) if you will. He said, hey, you're the son of God, the living God, you're Messiah. And now he's saying he's preaching Satan's message. And the Lord's like, hey, you know what you're doing, Pete? You're going based on human viewpoint rather than what I've been teaching you. And again, Peter had his own ideas about how things ought to go. Not so, Lord. Bring them on. We'll we'll take their heads off. And the Lord rebukes him. And and again, it's, it's it's a rebuke because of where Peter ought to be, and he's not. Look at verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If any man's going to come you, come after me. You can't start arguing with me until you're doing something. What do you do? Well, you deny himself. Where Peter is going to say, I was wrong, and you're right, Lord, and I'm going to follow, take up the cross and follow you. Verse 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now those are good questions to think about. In Matthew, there are great questions about the discipleship issues in the kingdom program. And what he's going to do here is he's beginning to identify what the cross means to those people in the kingdom program. The cross here, verse 24, then, again, you, you, people use, abuse this verse. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, usually people use that when they're sick and trouble's going on, and they'll say, oh, I'm just bearing my cross. Okay? Okay? I'm just picking it up and carrying on, struggling through it. But the idea in bearing the cross, take up his cross, in, in the scripture here, in, in the context, what he's talking about is that that issue about taking up his cross is a figure of speech because Christ is talking about him his rejection and then that little flock partaking in his rejection. You see, the cross to Israel was just what Acts 2 said. You guys rejected the Messiah. Again, it's not a glorious thing. So what Peter, what the Lord's doing here is, is listen, you want to follow me. And and again, discipleship. You're going to forsake everything. You're going to let it all go. And you're going to pick up the cross, you're going to pick up and you're going to deal with that issue of rejection. And they're going to come and share together in his rejection. And, if he, and he says, if a man wants to follow me, he's got to sell out, right? Sell what he has. Get rid of everything. Forsake mom and dad and brother and sister and everything. He's got to deny himself. By the way, to deny yourself means you're selling everything. You don't have stuff. And you're going to come and you're going to follow me and you're going to take up my cross, his cross. But the cross here is the issue of rejection. When they come and they share in his rejection, because up to this point we've seen him be rejected, he's an outcast from where? From that nation. And those that are going to come to him now, the little flock of believers, guess what they're going to do? They're going to become the outcast as well. And they're going to have to endure down through the rejection. So here, the cross is a symbol of his rejection and then of the little flocks joining him in that rejection. And, and, and coming in and taking uh, place, and, 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 and as he's rejected, so then they are. When we were studying Luke, we got down toward the end there, and the Lord was going into Jerusalem in the morning time and teaching, and then he would leave and go back to Mount Olives. I, I made the comment that the Lord loved to camp. He was outside the city, up on Mount Olives, up there camping. He'd get up in the morning sneak into town and teach in the, t- in the synagogue and then as soon as it was time he'd leave and go back out okay he had to sneak in and sneak out if you will why because they're looking for him they're trying to kill him he's been rejected that's the issue here that he's talking about when he says hey you want to follow me peter get behind me you're of the satan you're, you're, you're going on human viewpoint. You're not doing what I've ta- taught you to do. Then he says to his disciples, see how he turns. He rebukes Peter, and then he turns right to, that, to his, the little flock and says, okay, if you guys want to follow me, you have to join me in this rejection issue because that's what's coming your way. Verse 27, for the Son of Man, Matthew sixteen, twenty seven for the son of man shall come in the glory of his father with his angels and then he shall reward every man according to his works verily i say unto you there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the son of man coming in his kingdom now that's the the next issue here in verse 27 and 28 the issue is the glory the kingdom the second coming verse 21 and 22 he's telling them about his suffering his rejection i got to go to calvary i got to i got to suffer many things verse 21 i'm going to be killed but on the third day i'm 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 going to be raised then he says in verse 24 25 and 26 hey you guys are going to have to your guys are going to participate in my rejection as well they're going to reject me and if you're following me, then guess what they're going to do? Reject you. So you have the sufferings. And now in verse 27 and 28, he says, don't worry about the sufferings. Don't worry about the rejection because what's coming? Glory. So that thing over there in Peter when he says that the, that the uh, prophets inquired into the sufferings and the glory. Those, those things go together. So Christ is talking about the rejection and now and the suffering, but he says don't worry about that because glory is going to come. And it this is to this is to give that little flock confidence, reassurance in the time of the sufferings that they're going to go through. Okay? And again, that hope, we were talking about it Sunday, the hope of his calling. Man, when you have a a hope, an anchor to the soul, something that anchors sure and steadfast, that thing there in Hebrews, when you have that, then going through the nasty now and now is pretty easy to go through. It's actually a light event. And that's what he's doing with them. And again, the focus here is... Here's the sufferings, the rejection. You guys follow me, you're going to be part of that, but guess what's coming? See, no, again, notice nothing about Calvary paying their sins or, and being resurrection and newness of life and all that stuff we learn about in Romans 6. No, Glory's going to come. Verse 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. Now the reward is going to be the reward of the kingdom. Come back to chapter ten and uh, verse thirty-two. We've kind of seen some of this already. Uh, ten thirty-two. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. And again, that's the issue. Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. Let him lose his life. And guess what? He'll gain it. But let him gain life now and let him keep his stuff now. And guess what's going to happen in the future? He's going to lose it. And that's what he's talking about, that reward there of gaining your life. Lose everything now for the future benefit. Over there in Revelation 22, he talks about my reward is with me. Well, what's with him? The kingdom. That's what's with him. When he comes back and he rewards those kingdom saints in the kingdom for their faithful service. We'll talk here in a minute about that, that issue of authority. Re- the reward over there in Luke, he says, the nobleman goes off, receive the kingdom and come back. But before he left, he called his servants together and gave them those 10 pounds. And he says, well, I'm gone, occupy. And what that is, is, is a picture, of, uh, a type of the Lord dying, the nobleman, the dying, resurrecting, going off. But before he leaves, what does he tell that little flock? Occupy, there's the axe ministry. Okay? Comes back down, goes through the, the tribulation and so forth. And then he calls in the servants and he says, Okay, what'd you do with while I was gone? Occupy, occupation. And, he, and then one guy says, Well, here's ten. I got," this. And he says, You have authority over ten cities. See? And the other guy goes, Well, I got five. He goes, You got five. And he goes, I didn't do anything, I just put it in the ground. And he goes, well, you're not that faithful servant, so off you go. You didn't do, see. That's that reward issue there. Their faithful service. Back to Matthew 16. That's the issue here. Matthew 16, verse 28. Verily I say unto you. That, that thing about there about the reward Don't worry about the sufferings, because the reward is going to come. The kingdom is going to come. Have assurance, have a confidence about it, and everything will be okay. Verse 28, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here, which shall not taste of death, till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom." Now, this verse gets beat up quite a bit. And what happens here is there are some folks that are going to be standing there that aren't going to die before the kingdom materializes. That's what he's saying. There's some of you standing here that won't see death until what comes in, the kingdom. Okay? And again, what he's saying is some assurance them of the fact that they are going to inherit the kingdom. Like confidence. But what happened? <laughs> he set that program aside, exactly. So, there was really nobody. Are there anybody that has, they didn't see the kingdom yet, did they? Not at all. So what happens then is then people drop down into verse 17, chapter 17, and they say, well, Peter, James, and John were caught up, and they saw the majesty. We're going to look at it in just a minute. And that's really them seeing the kingdom, but that's not what the verse said. Let's see. So come over to back to chapter 10. Just when you when you you got you got to think this stuff through Matthew 10 verse 23 it's, it's wonderful to understand your bible rightly divided because this ver, this stuff in Matthew 16 it's been used on me in the past to show a mistake in the bible and to prove that Christ was a liar because what did he say so are we in the kingdom or are we not in the kingdom? Well, we're not in the kingdom. Then he's a liar. He lied. That book's not right. And I'm like, hold on a minute. <laughs> There's something else going on here. Look at, so you got to think some of this through. Matthew 10, verse 23. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become in have they been over the cities of israel yet no so what's going to happen here well that issue of understanding your bible rightly divided (laughs) is going to answer that issue okay now there's you got matthew 10 verse 23 let it go. You got Matthew 16, verse 28. You got two more passages. There are four passages that kind of come up here in Matthew, where they play a Greek game with you. Okay? Matthew 20, and, and the four passages are Matthew 10, 23, Matthew 16, 28, Matthew 23, 39. That's where we're headed, so you read the verse. Matthew 23, 39, and Matthew 24, 34, okay? Matthew 23, 39. And, and folks, I've had this used on me in the past, dealing with people. Dealing with, I'm a Bible believer. Oh, really? Okay, great. You know, how are you going to get saved? And it's all work salvation. And I said, well, you know, the Lord said, yeah, well, the Lord's a liar. Huh? And you're a Bible believer? Yeah, well, I'm a Greek. I like the Greek. And this is where they pull it out. Okay? Matthew 23, 39. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Matthew 24, verse 34. 24, 34. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Well, wait a second. In 2339, did they see the Lord before they would say, Blessed he that cometh in the name of the Lord? The answer is yeah. The very next chapter they they see. Okay? What about in 24? 34. Did that generation pass before all the things were passed were filled? Okay. So you got this game that they play. And, and what they do is that they, they they go to the Greek and they use a little, there's a little particle in Greek, and it's A-N, on, okay? And that little particle puts a condition on the statement is what it does. So what they say, and and then, again, what, the cemeteries teach you, seminaries teach you, is they say that it's an untranslatable particle that adds a condition and makes it a conditional statement, and that is true, so this really is a statement with a condition attached to it. And you go, huh? See how the the spin that they spin it. So you're going, oh, well the guy's got to be right, he knows what he's talking about. But the problem with it is that is the idea that that little word is untranslatable? Because guess what, it is translatable. See, <laughs> they don't just okay. The issue of the condition when you think about the Greek particle, it gets again. It's only gimmicks. Go back to Matthew 16 to not call, to get you away from just looking at the verse. Okay. Think about something here. If, we, if I said Saturday, we're going to have a picnic. You bring the hot dogs. Paul, you bring the hot dogs. Rocky, you bring the soda. Denise, you bring the potato salad. But then what happens on Saturday and it rains? Do we still get together or do you all stay home? normally normal people would stay home i didn't say we're gonna have a picnic unless it rains i said we're gonna have a what a picnic i'm gonna come hungry y'all better show up okay all right you see there's an understood condition there isn't there that's what's going on here it doesn't have to be translated in it's just an understood condition That if it doesn't rain, we're good to go. But if it does rain, then we're going to stay home from the picnic. So what's happening here with Christ is he says, Hey, look, guys, there's some of you that aren't going to make it, won't see that kingdom over there. And there's some of you that will. It's a blanket statement. It isn't right now in time. There'll be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the king, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So again, they use this verse and twist it greatly. And best just to leave it say what it says. Okay? The issue here. Look, look at verse 28 the the offer is made to Israel about their kingdom the kingdom is what at hand what do they have to do receive it okay he told them, he's already told them that if if you would receive it john becomes who elijah and the lord be- and, uh, and it's good to go we're going to roll with it so that's the condition And when he says this here, it's with the understanding that the nation is to receive their kingdom. And if the dispensation of grace had not interrupted this program, there would have been some that would have never died that would have went right on into that kingdom. Okay? So it has nothing to do with now what we're going to read in chapter 17, in that, okay, we got Peter, James, and John... By the way, they're called the favorite trio, the Lord's favorites, okay? And what happens is is now these guys are going to come in, verse 1, and after six days, Jesus take Peter and James and John his brother and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah, Elias, talking with him, and you run over there to 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and they said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And they say, see, look, Peter and them didn't taste death before they saw the kingdom. But that's not what verse 28 says. Till they see the Son of Man, what, coming in his kingdom. See, that's not him sitting there, his majesty. That's the glory that's there. So, you've got to be very careful with this passage. Because, again, Peter, James, and John, they're standing there. By the way, notice in verse 28 that he doesn't say just Peter, James, and John are going to see me come into my kingdom glory. He says there'll be some, some standing here. Well, some's more than three, there's a group of them, okay? So when you come down here, again, Peter, James, and John, they do see the kingdom majesty, the glory, the Shekinah glory of God. They do see the, that glory transfigured in Christ, but they're not seeing the second coming, and that's what 28's talking about. Are you, are you as confused as I am? Okay, good. At least some of you are right then. (laughs) Okay? See, that's the issue. They're not seeing Christ coming back, they see the majesty. That means he's already in it. And again, the transfiguration is not placed here to answer, to confirm the statement in verse 28, which, by the way, verse 28 is written to confirm the statement in verse 27 that he's going to come in the glory of his father. Because now what we're going to see in chapter 17 is not the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, but you're going to see the Son of Man in the glory of his father and the majesty of the Shekinah glory. So really, 17, 1 and 2 is going to answer verse 27, if anything. See how confusing this gets with people? So what's going on here? There's a lot of noise out there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah might be the dog park's open, so anyway, I was watching Dad a tape G S B tape in the old building and he's teaching and all of a sudden the airplanes from O'Hare they would fly over and I can remember it would fly and you could hear Dad go in and out. It's like, Oh, that was bad and then we had a we used to we had the video camera in the back of the room in the back of the room was the, in the back of the auditorium on, the, on this side, the left hand, the preacher's left side, was the church office. It had a window like we have, but the window slid. So we set the camera in there because it was up above everybody, and we could zoom it in tight and get everything. Well, we ran the cable down and underneath the boards and up and around and over so it wasn't dragging. Well, when they did, the guys stapled it. Okay, well, guess what? A staple cots kind of caught into some of the insulation and it created an antenna and we were picking up the ham radio guys in the auditorium you would hear and the, the shortwave guys and you'd hear them go hey roger and dad would go who in the world is talking you know so if you ever see something like that and dad's teaching and all of a sudden who is that it, it's and it took us forever to figure it out because it's like what's bleeding in over the PA system so bad. <laughs> and, roger, Roger. You know, then we would hear the airplane pilot, "Yeah, <laughs> D5, here we go," you know, it's like what is going on here, you know? But anyway, I don't back to Matthew 17. All right. Um, Matthew 17 verse 1. What we're reading about here really is that issue of the uh, of of the son of, back up there in verse 27, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. It's this issue here about the fact that what Christ is going to do now in Matthew 17 is he's going to give a, a sample, a taste, to his disciples, to, the, to these three gentlemen here, of the coming glory that's going to be His in order to confirm their faith. That's what He's doing this for. He begins to tell them, I'm going to go die. And he he again, He hadn't told them before. Now all of a sudden He's got to go die. Then He tells them about His kingdom and the wonderful time of reigning and ruling and that reward. And they're all going to have... a. Uh, and so forth, but there's going to be suffering for them. He says, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, you're going to suffer. Some of you are going to die, some of you won't die. But in the end, what is it? Glory, the kingdom. So he begins to confirm that up with them here, starting in Matthew 17. And he's going to be transfigured right in front of them. Uh, Come over with me to 2 Peter 1, since we said that a minute ago about it. Look at 2 Peter 1. Notice Peter's testimony here. And again, that that is exactly now what Peter is going to point to to confirm the truthfulness of the message of Matthew 17. Matthew 16, sorry. And he's going to use it here in in 2 Peter, as, as a means of confirming the faithfulness of God's word because there has been now a delay. Who's been the delay? The dispensation of grace. Okay? 2 Peter is an interesting passage. 2 Peter is probably one of, I believe, the last book Peter writes. Of Hebrews through Revelation, 2 Peter, I believe, is the last one. Because of the the conversation about Paul and his epistles and the issue of understanding the delay, and the delay being the long-suffering of God, of Paul. Uh, Hebrews goes right to deal with the Hebrew issue. James is talking to the twelve tribes scattered. John's doing the same thing. Jude is dealing with down. Revelation is dealing. And Peter... 1 Peter's dealing with Israel, the little flock in the church right now, what's going on. And then 2 Peter comes in. It's kind of like Paul's 2 Timothy. (laughs) It sits right at the end here because of what he says and how he says things. Verse 16. 2 Peter 1, verse 16. uh, Verse 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease... To have these things always in remembrance. See, Peter's an old man. He knows he's going to die. I need you to remember this. For we have not followed cunning, devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice... To him from the excellent glory, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. Now, that's all Matthew 17. That's where he's talking about. And Peter comes in and he says, Look, guys, here's the testimony about, of, of, about the kingdom, the majesty, the glory, the honor that's coming to Christ. We saw that when we were in the mountain with him, the Mount of Transfiguration, we call it. And we're going to, Paul says, you need to remember what we saw over there. Remember that. But now watch verse 19, because Peter does something wonderful here. He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place unto the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Look, Peter says, you know what? That idea about the eyewitness and what we saw over there on the mount, that was wonderful and we can attest to it, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. You know what we got something that beats eyewitnessing? We got the word of God. And you know what the word of God says? The word word says the kingdom's coming. The delay, by the way, you're in 2 Peter. Whoops. Look on over there in chapter 3. By the way, chapter 2, verse 1, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as they shall be false teachers among you. Who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring unto themselves swift... How do they bring in damnable heresies? They're scriptural, but they're not, what, dispensational, even here with, with these guys. You know what they're using? They're using Paul, probably. They're using Romans to Philemon. And saying, we're not underneath that law program. We're not underneath it. We're over here under the grace now. Why? You know how you know that? Because what do they say now? We're not under grace. We're bringing in the kingdom. <laughs> we're over here in the other program. See how man is? You, you, it's predictable as all get out. Okay? Anyway, just my opinion, I guess. Chapter 3, you've got some scoffers there in verse 3, verse 4. And they're saying, where is the promise of his What? you know what Pete says we've we've seen his majesty we've seen him in glory but you know what we got a more sure word and the word of God says you know what's going to happen that kingdom glory is coming and when it gets here man it's going to be great come back to Matthew 17 And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain. Now, you remember back when, uh, uh, in, in, in Matthew, we're talking about the sevens and how the sevens run through. And you go over there to Luke 9, the same thing, and it says, and it came to pass about eight days. Well, what's after seven and before eight? I mean, what's after six before eight? Seven, yay! I, there you go, five You know, (laughs) so you've got that seven issue running through. Now, notice verse two, and was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as light. He's going to be transfigured. By the way, in verse 1, mountain in your Bible, over and over and over again, unless it is clearly identified as topography, it's talking about a kingdom. Go to Daniel 2, and 45. Mountains are kingdoms. You go over there in Revelation, and he says these seven mountains, and then you read on down, and guess what they're defined as? Seven kings. Kingdoms, kingdoms. Come over to Luke 9. This issue about him being transfigured. Notice how Luke 9 describes this, this event. Luke 9, Luke 9, with Matthew 17. Luke 9, uh, verse 28, And it came to pass about, about an eight day after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and what? glistering. In other words, it's as though his countenance was transfigured. It was altered. It was as if you could reach up, He just reached out and changed his countenance. so that, go back to Matthew 17:2 there, so that the glory that resided inside of him came out. And when that did, his clothes glistened. And in 17.2, this is the critical part here, and, and, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun. Do you understand what it is to shine as the sun? Okay. I stand up here, we got these lights on. I'm not shining as the sun, I'm shining like the moon. What does the moon do? The moon reflects, right? But shining as the sun. I guess I'm moonshine. <laughs> okay. Oh, bad, huh? Okay. I've been at home too much this week. Okay. What does he do here? He's shining as the sun. He, he's there, if, if you can understand, he's glowing from inside out. That's the point. It's like a light bulb. You turn the light bulb on, the light's inside coming out. That's the issue here. Okay? If you drop down to verse 5, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Here, he, God the Father's in the cloud. The cloud speaks, but there's God the Son with the same glory shining out of him. See, the glory isn't shining down from the Father. The glory is doing what? Coming out of the Son. He, cha- he, he altered his countenance. He changed him. He transfigured. He, and, and out he came. And that's, and that's critical to get here because of, of, what, of what the Lord is trying to reassure the disciples about. I'm going to suffer. If you follow me, you're going to suffer. But what's coming? Kingdom glory. And it's coming because I'm in you and you're in me and we're all in the Father. And that's really what's happening here. Okay? Come back with me. To Ezekiel. Nah, you know what? Isaiah 60. Let's go there. Isaiah 60. This issue about him shining. Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. The glory is going to, it's going to come down and take over. Verse 2, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. When Christ comes, you know what he says over there in Hebrews? He's the express image and the brightness of of the father where he comes Hebrews 1 3 and when he comes it's always talking about he coming with the glory and the glory of the father and it's in that in that eyes now look down at verse 19 6019. the sun shall be no more thy light by day neither thy br- for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee but the Lord "...shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. Thy sun shall be no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy mourning shall be ended." He's talking about the millennial. But he's referencing the area in Palestine that's going to be illuminated by the Shekinah glory of God. And when Christ is there and his glory goes out there, it's going to be so bright, so shining out of him that, you know what, it never gets dark. Now, the sun and the moon are still doing their thing, by the way because this is a specific area in Palestine. The rest of everything is going to continue. Come, up, come back to Matthew 17. On your way, stop in chapter 13. 13 and verse 43. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the Son in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. The righteous Son... The righteous shine forth as what? The sun. It's within them coming out, that little flock. Back to Matthew 17, verse 3. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, that's Elijah, talking with him. Now, Moses and Elijah... They, they're the two witnesses over there in Revelation 4 and so forth that we see in everything, okay, uh, in the book of the Revelation. Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. Um, somebody, you know, there's always somebody, well, wait a minute, shouldn't it be Elijah and Enoch? Because it's appointed unto man once to die, and and Enoch was taken up like Elijah was, and Moses died, and how can he be resurrected? And that's really a misunderstanding of that verse about it's appointed unto man once to die. Because what happened with Lazarus? He died, he died. the Lord brought him back, and what did he do? Died again. By the way, the two witnesses in Revelation are killed. So Moses died again, and Elijah died. <laughs> so, okay, so don't play the word games. Come over to Malachi 4. And you just, I mean, you can do, you got Lazarus, uh, the widow Nain's son, resurrected, died. You go back to Elijah and, 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 and so forth, where he ra- raises the widow's son. Again, they died again. So if it's appointed unto man once to die, then it means everybody has to die once, right? But how about the people that died? Twice. Lazarus, those guys. What about them? So, it's a verse that's not saying that everybody has to die only one time. Rather, it's a a general principle that men are going to die because what is the wages of sin? Death. From Adam to Moses, what reigned? Death. (laughs) Sin showed up when the law showed up because the law... Identified with their activity as sinful, but from Adam to Moses, what reigned? Death. So you got to be careful when you begin using just blanket statements like that. Malachi 4. Here, when we'll be done here, and we'll pick up where we're left off here in Matthew 17. Malachi 4, the last chapter um, of the Old Testament, here of you will of a Gentile Bible, talked talks really, you start in verse number 2. But unto you that fear my name shall the, notice, capital S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness. That's exactly what Matthew 7, 2 described Christ as transfiguring. Okay. Arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves in the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all Israel with statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's, how they, that's what they thought John was. He, that, remember when he says, who do they say I am? And Elijah pops up. That's why. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the ch- hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The last of the Old Testament to a Gentile Bible, the last word is cursed. Why? Because Gentiles are what? Cursed. Now, you go to the end of 2 Chronicles, um, just for sake of comparison, 36, which is the end of the the Old Testament in a Jewish Bible, and there, verse 22 and 23, so 2 Chronicles 36, 22 and 23, you know what they're doing? They're going back into the land. They're getting the blessing, going back into the land under Cyrus. Why? Because that's where Israel is going. Now, in Malachi 4, you have four proper names that are listed here. These are all in in the passage in Malachi 4 dealing with the second coming of Christ. The four proper names. The first one is in verse 2 with the capital S-U-N, the Son. Who is that? That's Christ. Then you have verse 4, Moses. Horeb, Mount the Mount Horeb, and then in verse five you have Elijah. So back there in Matthew 17, when we're standing on a what, a mountain. Horeb, by the way, you study out Mount Horeb in your Old Testament. First times it pops up, Moses it's Moses on back into the desert, and he's standing on Mount Horeb. And the the burning bush says, you've got to get back in town. He goes in there, and then Mount Horeb shows up again where he gets the law. He spent 40 days on the back end of Mount, Mount Horeb two times. Mount Horm and Mount Zion end up becoming the same mountain. It's very interesting when you study that stuff out through Exodus and Deuteronomy. So you've got Matthew 17. Where are we? We're on a mountain. There's Horeb. Again, can't prove that it's Horeb, so don't, you know, hey, you said, but it is a mountain. And who's there? The Lord, Christ, and who else? Moses and Elijah. So there isn't any doubt about who the two witnesses are when you begin to put verses together. And guess who they are? Moses and Elijah. And who else is standing there? Christ And we're on the holy mountain of God doing it. Okay? Now, we'll pick up Matthew 17. We'll start back up in here, verse 3. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Oh, it's good to be here. Wow, it's great to be here. If thou wilt, if you'll let us, let us make... Here are three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, he hadn't even finished saying it yet. (laughs) Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Don't pay any attention to Moses and Elijah. You need to pay attention to him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Don't you know that was a shocker? <laughs> he reaches out there, touches Peter, James, and John. You know, you think they're trembling. This is, why, this is a shock to their system, you know. I always said, if you ever saw a demon, if you ever saw an angel, it'd scare you to death. Literally, you would freeze out where you are and keel over dead if you ever really saw one. Here, these guys are, and he says to them, "Get up, guys. It's okay." And they look up, and you know what they saw? They saw Kim, and that was the that was that's the issue. Again, we'll pick up in this and go down through the details. Okay, so the Lord starts. Talking about the kingdom and everything, this is what's going to happen. Then he says, hey, by the way, guys, i got to go die. i got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. And if you're going to be with me, guess what you're going to have to do? Deny everything. Forsake everything. Pick up my cross, the cross of suffering. But if you do, guess what's coming? Glory. Kingdom glory out there in the future. Stay the course. And then he takes these three three leaders really James Peter Peter James and John and he shows them his glory they don't he doesn't show them the second coming and the coming into the kingdom and all that. he shows his majesty he shows that glory to them all designed to confirm their faith because as they go now guess who's got to be who's going to be leading the charge these three guys and who better to lead it when than a confident leader? It would be sad if these guys were up there leading because what did he just do to Peter and earlier in chapter sixteen? He gave him the keys, gave him the authority, and now now Peter's gonna wimp out? No wonder Peter is headhunting in the garden. He knows what's coming. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the look into the passage here. We thank you for the understanding of it. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory in it. In your name we pray. Amen.